Hi, I'm Josh Van Berkel. Welcome to the Activate Christchurch podcast. It's our privilege to share it with you. I hope you enjoy it. And if you ever find yourself in Christchurch, pop in and say hello. We'd love to see you. Uh, I'm going to be talking to you guys this morning. Uh, Where did my Bible go? I, I had it somewhere. Is it not there? Josh has got one. Give me your one, Josh. Oh, it's at the back. You know, I don't even need it. I've got a PowerPoint for it. It's fine. It doesn't, it doesn't matter. So I'm talking about the, the book of Acts this morning. We're going to be talking about this book for, I think, a good part of the year, given the fact it took us a month to get through chapter one. And there wasn't even a lot going on in chapter one. And chapter two is when it really starts to heat up. It starts to get a little bit crazy. So if you've got your Bibles, open them up to Acts chapter two. If you don't have your Bibles or if you left it down the back of church, it's all right because I'm going to put them on the big screen for you. We're going to stick it up with uh, Acts chapter two, starting in verse one. It says this, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. Next slide. Click in the next slide. Click in the next slide. Click in the next slide. Is it me or is it you, Michael? Did you move off my PowerPoint? There we go. They saw... See, I was just building suspense. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. And all of them, here we go, were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. So what we have here is essentially the unveiling of a, a brand new character onto planet Earth. This is the introduction of what we call the Holy Spirit. It is his first day. Up until this point, he has been prophesied about. He's been talked about. He's shown up on planet Earth a couple of times in disguise. Jesus promised he would send him. And now we have him here on planet Earth, day one. And what a phenomenal first day it turns out to be. Now, I said uh, last week that I didn't think that we could talk about the book of Acts without really talking about the Holy Spirit. Because if the Gospels are covered with the fingerprints of Jesus, they're all about Jesus, like I said, then the book of Acts is really covered with the fingerprints of the Holy Spirit. It's got a bunch of phenomenal stories in it about ordinary men and ordinary women doing extraordinary things. And the reason they can do extraordinary things is because of this guy right here, the Holy Spirit. And so what I want to do this morning, because we're going to talk about what happens to the disciples once the Holy Spirit fills them, and then we're going to look at all these extraordinary things that happen. But before we can do that, we do need to park for a moment and make sure that we all understand what we're talking about when we talk about the Holy Spirit. So what I want to do this morning is I want to just tell you a couple of things about the Holy Spirit, and I want to tell you a couple of things that the Holy Spirit does, the main reasons that he's here. But before I even do that, we need to talk about this hairy little chestnut, and that is the Trinity. How many people have heard the phrase or the words the Trinity? How many people know that we, we serve a God that is three in one, right? Sounds like a shampoo, but it's not. It is the Trinity. How many people, you can put your hands up at home as well, if I said to you, here's the microphone, jump up the front and just explain to the church what the Trinity is and how the Trinity works. How many people would go, yep, I've got a handle on that. I could probably do that at a pinch. Josh? No? That was a scared look. Yoane, get your hands off him. <laughs> I'm going to pick on you guys now because Amanda's not here. Um, 
I think most of us would go, yeah, I know about the Trinity. I'm aware that the Trinity's like a thing, but if push came to shove and I had to get up and articulate it, I would really struggle. And I know that there's a lot of things about Christianity and Christendom that are like almost on the periphery, they're almost optional extras, they're things that, look, it's nice if you know about this or it's fun to learn about that, but it's not critical to our faith. But the Trinity is not one of those things. The Trinity is absolutely critical to our faith. And as Christians, we have to have a good understanding of what it is because it informs so much about how we live. I would go so far as to say, having thought about it a lot this week, that not having an understanding of the Trinity is not a neutral position to hold. It's actually a negative. I think not understanding who the Trinity is and how the Trinity works has a negative impact on your faith. I think it is a hindrance to our relationship with God. It stops us from building deep connections with the Trinity because we fundamentally don't understand what it is. So what I'm going to try and do in the next five minutes is explain the Trinity, which is something that people write PhDs about and do you know, massive dissertations about. So I'm going to do it in five minutes because I heard somebody say once, I think this is true, they said, you don't understand something well enough if you can't explain it to someone simply. That's, that's the test. Like, you know, do I understand why I believe what I believe? Well, can you sit down and explain it to someone that doesn't know what you're talking about in a way that makes them go, ah, oh, I get that now. Because if you can't, you probably don't know it well enough. So I thought, okay, challenge accepted. Can I explain the Trinity simply enough that if you haven't really thought about it, or you don't really know much about it, at the end of this five minutes, you go, ah, I get it. So are you ready to go? The Trinity. When I talk about the Trinity, you guys know I mean God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit. You guys know those are like the big three. That's the Trinity. That's what I'm talking about. So let's start with at least that base level of understanding. I'll tell you about the Trinity, and then I'll tell you why I think it's so important that we know how the Trinity works and what the Trinity is. The doctrine of the Trinity... I watched a lot of YouTube videos this week and did a bunch of Googling and dug out my old Bible school assignments. And just in case you're thinking, ah, this guy doesn't sound overly qualified, excuse me, I got an A-plus on the Holy Spirit when I went to Vision College. I might not have finished the whole course, but I got an A-plus on the Holy Spirit. So just just saying. This is the best definition that I have come across for the Trinity. The doctrine of the Trinity is the belief that God is one in being and three in persons. That's, That's the best, simplest definition of the Trinity. The belief that God is one in being and three in person. So I want you to imagine that you're trying to explain this to someone that's not a Christian, that doesn't go to church, and is trying to wrestle with this concept of the Trinity. One in being three in persons. And they say, okay, great, Liz, what does that actually mean? You break it down a little bit further. A being is that which makes you what you are. I am, to the best of my knowledge, a human being, right? Liz, my wife, is a human being. That is what we are. So a being is that which makes you what you are. A person is that which makes you who you are. I am Joshua Van Berkel. You are Josh Weir, right? That is who you are as a person. So a being is what you are. A person is who you are. Give me a nod if that makes sense. Okay, nod at home, that makes sense. Now, here's where it starts to get a little bit tricky. I am one being and one person. Ioane is one being 
and one person. It's at this point we've got to put a pin in it and go, okay, now we're going to start to get out of our realm of understanding. Because God is not one being and one person. He is one being and three persons. Now, there is nothing in the universe that we can look to for an example of what that would look like. And so it's at this point we have to go, okay, can God be one being and three persons if he wants to be? Of course he can, because he's God. We don't understand how it works. We can't wrap our head around it. And so we come up with analogies that are at their best imperfect. So I am, uh, as coincidence would have it, this week I have been writing a script for a children's television show that's playing in Australia. And it's targeted at nine-year-olds. And the producers said to me, we want you to write an episode on the Trinity. And we want you to explain the Trinity to nine-year-olds. I'm like, okay, let's park for a moment the fact that there is no nine-year-old on the planet that cares about the Trinity, and let's just assume that they do. I said, I don't know if I can break that down in a way that a nine-year-old would understand and be interested in at the same time. This is a very complicated thing, guys. This is before I had the epiphany that if I knew it well enough, I could explain it simply. And so they tried to be helpful, and they sent me some examples, some analogies that I could use to help make kids understand. And one of them, they said, who's heard this one? They said, like, ice, water, steam. Have you guys, Josh is nodding because he goes to Bible college, he went to Ladle. Ice, they said, it's like, the Trinity is like ice, water, and steam. Now, whenever I hear that, I always just equate ice with God because he's like the rock and ice is rock-like but slippery. And then Jesus is obviously the water because he's the river of life. And then the Holy Spirit is clearly the steam because he's just weird and misty and floats around and no one really knows, you know, what the Holy Spirit does or who the Holy Spirit is. And so that's kind of how, and so they said, you explain it like this. And the problem with that analogy, and I remember somebody brought that analogy up in my Bible college class and the Bible college lecturer got angry at them and he was like, no, that's a terrible analogy. And I was like, why is it terrible? And because what it does, first of all, it reduces the Trinity down to elements. And they're not elements, they are persons. They're they're actual people. They have personalities and characteristics. And the other problem with that analogy is that essentially what it says is that they are just different forms of the same substance, which is obviously CO2. Uh, Right? That's water, eh? CO2 is it? H2O. What's CO2? Carbon dioxide. Okay, good thing Ron and Janet are in here. H2O, H2O. I remember once when I was uh, younger, I had a little wee cousin who was like five, and her, she was having an argument with her mum at our house, and her mum said, do you want some water? And she was like, water, ugh, no. And her mum said, what about some H2O? She's like, oh, yes, please. So I should have probably remembered it's H2O. But my point is that it's H2O, water, steam, and ice. It's just the same, they're the same substance, but just in a different form. And the Trinity are not three persons that are actually the same, that just show up differently. You can't melt God and end up with Jesus, right? You can't boil Jesus and end up with the Holy Spirit. It's not how it works. They gave me another analogy. They said, they said it's like, the Trinity's like an egg, right? It's got the egg yolk and the egg white and the egg shell. It's like the egg. I was like, you for real? You want me to take something as an unbelievably complex as a Trinity and say, it's like this, this egg, right? You're going to be like, ah, I boiled it and I did it to freak you guys out. Oh, gotcha good to know you, honey. It's, you know, you can't, the Trinity is not three things. And if you just take one away, it doesn't exist. It's not a BLT. Okay, so 
Where am I going? A person is that which makes you who you are. What is my next slide? All right. Uh, I'm, I'm spending too long on this, so I've got to move on. But for those of you that say, well, the Trinity is a word that's not even used in the Bible. Like, isn't this just like a later church invention? Actually, the Trinity is woven all through the Bible. But I wanted to just point this out because this is my favorite verse which talks about the Trinity. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. This is the first verse of the first chapter of the first book in the Bible. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Uh, Hebrew interpreters or translators have a massive issue with this sentence because the Hebrew word for God is the word Elohim, which is a plural version of God. A more accurate translation should be, in the beginning, God's created the heavens and the earth, but the Hebrew translators don't put that in there because they know that God is one because all throughout the Bible it says our God, Jehovah, is one. But the word for God there is plural. It's implying there's a plurality to this God. But the word created is a verb in the Hebrew that you only ever use to describe the action being taken by one person. You would never use this word to describe what's being done by a group. It is a singular verb. And so right there in the first verse of the Bible, you have plurality and then next door to it, singularity. And in there, the Bible is saying in that very first verse, this is a complex thing that you're never going to understand, but God is three persons and also one being. Now, why is it important? I've got to keep an eye on my... Okay, we're going to get to this in a minute. Here's, here's why I've parked on that a little bit. Because uh, I think that as Christians, we tend to rank the Trinity in order of importance. I think we do this a lot. I think we go, hey, God... Like, yes, he's important. He made the universe. He's all powerful. He's, you know, he created me. I, I, I've got to have a relationship with God. And I talked about this a little bit last week. I think we go, Jesus, I know who Jesus is. He's God's son. He died on the cross for my sins. If it wasn't for Jesus, my life would be a total mess. And then we get to the Holy Spirit and we go, well, he's just a bit of an optional extra. You know, I, I don't really know how he works. I don't know how to fit him into my life. Uh, and I think that if we had an accurate understanding of the Trinity, we wouldn't do that. And so I want to talk about really quickly two things about who the Holy Spirit is and how he fits into the Trinity. First of all, uh, and then two things about what the Holy Spirit does. So here's two things about who the Holy Spirit is. Number one, the Holy Spirit is God. This is, I know you might be like, oh yeah, I knew that, but I want you to actually stop and think about this. If God is one being and three persons, then logic dictates that every one of those persons is equally God because he's one being. That means that the Holy Spirit is as much God as God is. And it means the Holy Spirit is as much God as Jesus is. Does that make sense? But how, being honest, how often do we view the Holy Spirit at the same level as God himself? And so, I don't know about you, but I've always referred to the Trinity as God, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But I heard someone say it during the week, and I was like, I need to start using this language. And that was just God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And I'm like, straight away, that helps, you know, this, this language thing, because language informs opinion and it informs belief. But I think that we have, not in this church necessarily, but in the wider church, I think we have Christians all over the world that really, if push comes to shove, would say that they don't consider the Holy Spirit to be as much God as God, or as much God as Jesus Christ. And because we don't subconsciously 
consider the Holy Spirit to be as divine as God is, we don't prioritize our relationship with the Holy Spirit to nearly the same extent as we prioritize our relationship with God. And yet not prioritizing our relationship with the Holy Spirit, not trying to get to know him and build connection with him, is as it's exactly the same as just not trying to build connection with Jesus or not trying to build connection with God or not learning about God. And so as we move through the book of Acts and we study what's going on there and we look at how the Holy Spirit influences everything in that book, we have to come from this place of recognizing that the Holy Spirit is God. Let's just look at a couple of Bible verses. I'm teaching this morning rather than preaching, so I've got slides and Bible verses. Uh, in Acts chapter 5, it tells the story of a couple called Ananias and Sapphira, and we'll get to that chapter at some point because we're working through the book of Acts. It's a crazy story about this couple that sold some land and then gave the money that they made from the sale to the church, but told a porky about how much they sold it for. I don't know why you would do this. We'll talk about it later. But they said, this is how much we sold the land for. But they'd actually sold it for more and then just kept a little bit of money back, which was totally their prerogative, but they lied about it. And look at what Peter says to them. He says in verse 3, you have lied to the Holy Spirit. And then he makes another comment. And then in the next verse, he says, you've lied not just to human beings, but to God. So Peter, right there at the beginning, equates the Holy Spirit and God to be exactly the same thing. The other thing about the Holy Spirit is that all throughout the Bible, he has God-like quality. So he is eternal in Hebrews chapter 9. He's powerful in Luke chapter 1. He's omnipresent in Psalm 139, and he's omnipotent in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, which means all-powerful. So the Holy Spirit is God. That's the first thing I want you to understand about the Holy Spirit. He is he's not inferior to God. He's not 50% of God. He's not God's messenger. He's not a high-ranking angel that God sent down to help us with life. He is God, and he deserves as much respect and attention and relationship priority as any of the other members of the Trinity. Now, I'm preaching to myself here because as I was studying this this week and as I was kind of going, oh, you know what? I don't think I've been seeing the Holy Spirit as, as, as much as I should have in this way. I realize that that's probably why I find it easier to relate to Jesus and easier to relate to God than I have the Holy Spirit in the past because I just haven't seen him as on the same level as the other two members of the Trinity. Something else about the Holy Spirit, which is really important to understand, is that the Holy Spirit is a person. So those are the two things that I want you to understand. He is God and he is a person. That's why the, the ice, water, steam analogy is sometimes not very helpful because I think a lot of us struggle to personify the character of the Holy Spirit. And he becomes this mystical kind of presence that moves in and out. And we talk about the presence of the Holy Spirit's here. And, and it's, sometimes the Bible's not helpful because the Bible says things like he comes like a wind or he comes like this. And it's true the Holy Spirit can do all of those things. But fundamentally, at his core, he's a person, just like Jesus. He's got personality. He's got characteristics, just like Jesus. He's a person. And uh, Jesus, when he talked about the Holy Spirit, he always referred to him as, as if he were a person. And he gave him uh, a pronoun, which was he. When he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth. He doesn't say it. It's not a presence. It's not a, a vibe, right? He doesn't say it will not speak on its own. It will speak only what it hears. He says, no, no, he will speak only what he hears. And he will tell you what is yet to come. And then he has person-like qualities. He speaks in Mark 13. He teaches in Luke chapter 12. He appoints in Acts 20, and he guides in Acts chapter 8. These are all things that people do. He's a person. And so when you try and build connection with the Holy Spirit, when you try and relate to the Holy Spirit, 
Just remember that he's a person. You can sit down on your couch at home and have a normal conversation with him like you'd have a conversation with a normal person. He's not some mystical force, right? There's a lot of Christians freaked out in the 70s when Star Wars came out because they're like, oh, they're talking about the force. And you're right, yeah, Tim, Star Wars started well. Uh, if Abel's watching, I'll say it again. Those next three episodes, Phantom Menace, etc., rubbish. Even though Abel likes them. Make your own judgment about what that means about Abel. That's fine. Right? He's a person. So those are the, those are the two things I want you to know. He's God and he's a person. All right? And now we're just going to do two things that he does and then we are done because it's a teaching-heavy message. The Holy Spirit has two primary purposes, all right? So we know what the Trinity is. The Trinity is one being and three persons. A being is what you are. A person is who you are. We're one being, one person. God is one being, three persons. How does he pull that off? It's above my pay grade, but he does. Each of those persons are completely individual. They are not three parts of a whole. They are completely individual. They're not three forms of a substance. They are completely individual. All right, the Holy Spirit has two primary purposes. Number one, the Holy Spirit exists to focus our attention on Jesus Christ. Look at what Jesus says about the Holy Spirit again. When he comes, he's going to guide you into all the truth. In the Bible, who is truth? Jesus, right? So the Holy Spirit comes to guide you towards Jesus. And he doesn't speak on his own. He speaks only what he hears. And who does he hear it from? He hears it from God and he hears it from Jesus. So the Holy Spirit's primary purpose is to guide us towards Jesus. Christianity is a Jesus-centered faith. It is not a Holy Spirit-centered faith. And the Holy Spirit has the humility and the wisdom to understand that. He has a role to play, and his role is to direct people towards Jesus Christ. We are always centered around Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is perfect theology because of the role that he holds in the Trinity. And so when people run into trouble with the Holy Spirit is when it becomes not about Jesus, and when it becomes about just experiencing the presence of the Holy Spirit, or experiencing the manifestation of the Holy Spirit. Now, how many people reckon that they've seen some weird things sometimes with people saying that they were being touched by the Holy Spirit? The truth is, I would, I'd be very reluctant to ever judge someone's Holy Spirit experience, but I would say, if the Holy Spirit experience doesn't leave you more in love with Jesus, or it hasn't moved you closer to Jesus, then probably you're missing something in it because the Holy Spirit exists primarily to direct us towards Jesus Christ. He never wants to take attention for himself. He never wants to make it about him. He is here to help connect us with the person of Jesus. That's his main role. Does that make sense? Brilliant, guys. You're doing really well. Almost done. And the second reason that he exists is to make us like Jesus. All right? Um, 2 Corinthians 3.18, the New Living Translation says, All of us who have had that veil removed can see and reflect the glory of the Lord. And the Lord, who is the Spirit, it's talking about the Holy Spirit, makes us more and more like Him as we are changed into His glorious image. Who makes us more and more like Jesus? It is the Holy Spirit. Spirit. And that's why when you start reading the epistles of Paul, all the letters he writes to all the different churches, they are just chocker filled with exhortations and encouragements and advice about how we cannot live the life that Jesus has called us to live without the Holy Spirit. It is an absolute exercise in futility to try and live the way the Bible tells us to live without the Holy Spirit. 
We can't do it. We're not meant to be able to do it. Otherwise, Jesus wouldn't have sent the Holy Spirit to help us. If we were capable of living like Jesus lived without the Holy Spirit, then Jesus wouldn't have said, hey, I need to send you the Holy Spirit. And this is, I think, where a lot of Christians, myself included, have really kind of made life a lot more difficult than it needs to be because we're trying so hard to live a good life, to make good decisions, to follow Jesus, to read our Bible, to do all this kind of stuff, but we're not involving the Holy Spirit in it. We're not partnering with the Holy Spirit. We're not saying, hey, Holy Spirit, you were sent specifically to help me do this, and I can't actually do it by myself. So we just keep, I was talking to Jared the other day, being totally honest, I'd had a bad week or so, and I was a little bit grumpy at God, which happens sometimes. I have this conviction that God's okay with me getting grumpy with him. He's big enough, and I was going to say ugly enough, but he's not ugly, he's amazing. Uh, But he's big enough to handle me getting grumpy, and he's patient with me. And sometimes I get a tap on the hand and told to stop being an idiot, but sometimes, you know, he'll hear me out and go, yes, I can sort of hear. So I was a bit grumpy with, with God. And I was talking with Jared, and I said, you know what? We were playing golf, which wasn't helping my mood. And I said, you know what? I said, God is just, he's just not talking to me. He's not making life easy for me. And I was like, I have to put in all the effort. I have to read my Bible if I want to hear what he has to say. I've got to put on worship music. I've got to fast, or I've got to pray, or I've got to go to church. Like, what? Where's, where's all of his effort? And I said, if I were married to God, and God were my wife, I'd be saying, hey, you need to start putting in some effort into this relationship because I'm doing it all. Uh, that was kind of like the rant that I had with Jared. And Jared was good. He gave me some thoughts, which were basically like stopping an idiot. And, you know, didn't God do this for you and this for you and this for you last week? And I was like, oh, yeah, I forgot about that stuff, all that stuff he did for me. That's right, actually. Yeah, actually, last week I was like, it was like a mountaintop experience because God had done so much amazing stuff for me last week. But this week's totally different. Um, but do you know what I think it is? It's just, I was. I I fall into a trap so often of trying to do the right thing myself. Instead of just saying, you know what, God? You sent the Holy Spirit to help me do this stuff. So I don't have to do it by myself. And so I want to encourage you this morning, if you've ever felt like, oh, this is hard work. Trying to make good decisions is hard work. Trying to read my Bible, trying to get excited about God. It's hard work. It is hard work if you're trying to do it without the Holy Spirit. And God doesn't want you to do it without the Holy Spirit. Okay, so he comes to make us like Jesus. All right, let's finish with this. I love this verse at the end of uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 13. This is the last verse in the second letter that Paul wrote to the Corinthians. And it says, May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. See, every single member of the Trinity is mentioned there. You've got Lord Jesus Christ, you've got God, and you've got the Holy Spirit. And every single member of the Trinity is contributing something to us. So Jesus Christ is contributing his grace, and God is contributing his love, and the Holy Spirit is contributing fellowship. That word fellowship is a Greek word koinonia. And the Greek word koinonia literally means partnership. That is participation or communion. So if we go back to that verse It says, hey, look, Jesus contributes grace. God brings love into your relationship. And the Holy Spirit brings a sense of partnership. That's what's supposed to be going on. And I think as a rule, and this is a wide generalization, and there are people all over the spectrum, but I reckon we go, yeah, I've heard of the grace of Jesus Christ. I received the grace of Jesus. Yes, church talks a lot about how loved I am and the love of God. 
but I don't really understand yet what partnership with the Holy Spirit looks like. And as we unpack this book of Acts, what we see is a whole bunch of people that know what partnering with the Holy Spirit looks like, and that's why they can raise people from the dead, that's why they can bust out of jail, that's why they can do all sorts of, get bitten on the hand by snakes and they don't die, and all this kind of amazing, yeah, how cool would that be, Tim? I mean, you can't do it in New Zealand because there's no snakes. But we could get bit by a whitetail. Yeah, we bring some of those to church. We'll take turns putting our hands in and see who's got the most Holy Spirit thing going on. Right, no, Jackie doesn't think so. Right, and so I'm going I'm to end it there. I think it's my last slide. There you go, it is my last slide. Um, what we're going to do is we're going to break into groups because it's 11 o'clock. That's okay, Tim, you'll be all right. And uh, you're very vocal this morning. It's good. Uh, we're going to break into groups. We're going to break into groups in our lounge churches. And what I want you to do is I want you to pray. I just want you to come together and I want you to pray. Pray about what was talked about. Uh, if you've got any, I haven't, I specifically haven't put any questions on the screen because I don't want to direct you down a particular line of conversation. I just want you to, so maybe one of the questions I could have put up was like, hey, what, what was your big takeaway from this morning? So maybe start with that in your group. What was your big takeaway this morning? Uh, and then I want you to pray for each other. And specifically, I want you to ask people in the group if they need prayer for any physical healing. And we're going to pray for that as well. So we'll say goodbye to everybody at our lounge churches. Say goodbye to everybody watching at home. You can do that at home. Just lay your hands on your own heart and pray for yourself for physical healing and just release that now in Jesus' name. Um, and what we're going to do here is just put on some music in the background and we're going to break into groups too. And we will see you all next Sunday online. You guys stay here. You're not allowed to leave yet. All right? God bless.